0: This week in the States were the mid-term elections. If you you like to watch the news, you like to follow politics in the world, then you'll notice that. And That was to decide on who sits in both the House of Representatives and the Senate. And as usual, there were loads of politicians, including some notable ex-presidents, travelling around making promises in an effort to get their party elected. But as in all elections, one of the problems for voters is to know who to believe. That's because not all politicians tell the truth. I know that's really shocking to hear. I know that none of you knew this, but it's actually true. The evidence is overwhelming. Over in the States, there's an independent website called PolitiFact, which fact-checks the claims that politicians make. And they say that nationwide, in the States, across the party divide, so not just one party or the other, but all of of the politicians, only about 12% of the statements that they check are completely true. 12%. Another 35% are partly true, kind of true, which leaves about 50% or so, of all the statements that they check that range between moderately false or mostly false to what they call a pants-and-fire lie. Now, this problem, of course, is not just with politicians in the United States, is it? Sadly, there are lots of people that experience tells us that we can't really trust what they say. For example, over the the last couple of months... There have been a number of cheating scandals in a number of different competitions around the world. So, if you're into chess, the 19-year-old uh, grandmaster, Hans Nyman, was sensationally accused of cheating by the guy that he, he beat, Magnus Carlsen, in a competition in September. It rocked the, the chess world. I don't, I'm not part of the chess world, but maybe you are. Then the world of competitive... Fishing. didn't even know there was a world of competitive fishing, but there is. And that world was was sent reeling, pun intended, uh, last month after two fishermen were caught putting lead balls in the mouths of the fish that they'd caught to increase their weight to try and win that competition. Ingenious, but pretty dishonest. And then over here in Ireland, there have been many accusations about cheating in the world of Irish dancing. Where judges have been accused of receiving text messages from uh, teachers, dance teachers, putting pressure on them to fix the result in favour of their kids. All of this makes you wonder who you can trust. Is there anybody that we can take at their word? Well, the writer of Hebrews says a resounding yes. There is somebody that we can completely depend on. Someone who always speaks the truth. Someone that we can always take at his word. And so we can trust in his better promises. And build our lives on them. Because they are sure and they are certain. So this morning we are going to read from Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 13 to 20. And Alison's going to come up and she's going to read for us this morning. Thank you, Alison.
1: When God made his promise to Abraham... Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I surely will bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms it. What is the cause? God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose, very clear to the heirs... uh, Yeah... Heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Who we have fled to take hold of hope, set before us many great inquiries. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary beyond, behind this curtain, where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. In order of Melchizedek.
0: Thank you very much, Alison. In the passage that we read last week, if you were here, the writer of Hebrews warned his readers that if they turned away from Christ, they were putting themselves in real danger. If they did that, they were basically crucifying Jesus all over again and showing that they were still lost That they had never really put their faith in Jesus. But we also saw that the writer was confident. He was confident of better things in the lives of those he was writing to. He believed that his initial readers would not fall away. But would rather continue to display the genuineness of their faith in Christ in their lives. But this wasn't an excuse for complacency. Instead he concluded by encouraging them to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope secure. He urged them to persevere. To keep on going. To keep on trusting in Jesus right to the end of their lives so that their hope would be secure. So that they would have the assurance that they did belong to Christ. And that they would, through faith and patience, inherit what was promised. And this is also a crucial exhortation for us, too. In a world where so many people walk away from Christ, we need to keep going. We need to keep believing. To persevere in our faith because we know that we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end, the confidence we had at first. We can be sure of our relationship with Christ if we continue to courageously stand with Christ and put our hope in Him. But all of this might sound as if like our hope in heaven depends on our efforts. Depends on our commitment. On whether or not we hold on to Christ. And if that's what our hope was grounded on, then none of us could have any assurance. Assurance. None of us would have any security. None of us would have any certainty in our lives because we know that our hope, our perseverance, our endurance, that we are not a firm foundation on which to build our lives. We all know our weakness and our limitations. So thankfully, that's not the case. Our hope doesn't depend on our perseverance. Instead, it's based on God's promises. And His promise is a promise that we can depend on. The writer showed that by pointing to another hero of the faith. We've already seen in Hebrews in pointing to to Moses, to the high priest, to Joshua. But here he points to somebody else. For Jewish believers, Abraham was the ultimate example of a man of faith. Because he left his country, his people, his community, and travelled hundreds of miles to Canaan. And he did this just because of a promise from God. This is the promise, Genesis chapter 12. God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. But at the time that God gave that promise to Abraham, Abraham had no children. And no real prospects of having any as his, him and his wife were getting on in years. But God kept his promise. So when Abram was a hundred years old, Isaac was born. The child of the promise. But a number of years later, God told Abram this. It's in Genesis chapter 22. God said to Abram, take your son... Your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, in many ways, this was an impossible command. Abraham dearly loved his son. And anyway, it just didn't make any sense, this command. Not only because child sacrifices were what idolaters did, not what God wanted. But also because the Son, it was through Him that God had promised to build a great nation. So why would God ask for this Son to be sacrificed? Now, of course, He didn't know that what this sacrifice was going to do was going to foreshadow what God was going to do with His own beloved Son. On that very same Mount Moriah, just outside of Jerusalem, Jesus was sacrificed for our sins to open up the way of our salvation. Abraham, he didn't know the deeper meaning of this. But despite this, Abraham obeyed. He took Isaac up that mountain. He built an altar. He laid his son upon it. And he was just about to kill him when God stopped him and provided a ram as a substitute. And in response to Abraham's obedience, this is what the Lord promised him. So Genesis 22, verse 16 to 17. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. What an amazing promise to a guy who was just a, basically a wandering nomad with a solitary son. But Hebrews chapter 6 verse 15 says after waiting patiently Abraham received what was promised. It was 25 years between the original promise and the birth of his son. It was many years later that Abraham's family would become a great nation. But the promise was fulfilled. God kept his word. Abraham's experience reassures us that God keeps his promises. But this promise was not just for Abraham. Neither was it just for his family or the nation that would come from him. It was also a promise of blessing to everybody who would put their faith in his ultimate offspring. On that day in Mount Moriah, just after Abraham nearly killed his son, instead sacrificed that ram, God promised Abraham also this. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because of you. Because you have obeyed me. And so if we've put our faith in Jesus, Abraham's promised son, and his willing sacrifice of himself on the cross, then we too are children of Abraham. We too are what the writer calls in verse seventeen, the ears excuse me the ears of what was promised. We have come into the blessing that was promised to Abraham. This is the promise that the writer of Hebrews has been writing about right throughout his letter that Jesus became a little lower than the angels. To pay the price of our sin. That he rose again on the third day to declare his, de- his, his defeat of death and the devil. That he ascended into heaven where he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that now he is our great high priest, our Redeemer, our representative, a priest forever. In the order of Melchizedek. Now of course, we don't have the fullness of that promise yet. We haven't stepped into the reality of all that means yet. Of course, we do have some of the experience, we have experienced some of the blessings of what it means to be a child of God. Maybe we have felt God's love Flowing into our hearts. Maybe we don't know the joy of being in God's presence. Maybe we've experienced the peace of knowing that our sins are forgiven once and for all. But that's just the down payment, that's just the deposit, that's just the beginning of our salvation. There's so much more to come. But how can we be sure that we will receive all more, that is more to come? How can we be sure that we will receive that inheritance? That we will truly be heirs of the promise? How can we be sure that we won't lose out? Well, look at verse 13. because It's because when God made his promise to Abraham... Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. When people make declarations in court, they're asked to swear by God that what they're going to say is going to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The writer says in verse 16, men swear by something, someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. By appealing to someone greater, the person is assuring the court that they are telling the truth. It's like a legal guarantee. Of course, there's no one greater than God himself. So when God made this promise, he swore by himself. And this was because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. He wanted to make clear that he was not going to change his mind. Now, of course, there should never have been any doubt about this. People, they are asked to make oaths in court because we can't always depend That what they say in everyday lives is going to be the truth. Swearing by God is supposed to ensure that this time they are telling the truth. That's why Jesus taught us, do not swear at all. Simply yet let your yes be yes and your no, no. As believers in Jesus, we should not need to make oaths to encourage somebody that we are telling the truth. Because we should always tell the truth. And God also tells the truth, all the time. The writer of Hebrews assures us of this. In verse 18 he says, it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Why? Because He's the God of truth. That's who He is. There is no darkness, no deception in Him at all. God is not a man that he should lie. Not a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And of course the answer is no. God always keeps his word. But God made this oath here. Not because he cannot be trusted. Because he knows that we struggle to trust him. Verse 18 God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Isn't that amazing? This oath was not for God's benefit to force him to keep his promise to Abraham. Rather this oath was an an act of compassion to us and to Abraham. To encourage us to keep trusting in his promise. To encourage us that God is going to keep his word. And so today if we have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us, then this is what we have. As we'll see in the next couple of weeks as we go into chapter seven of Hebrews seven of Hebrews, the, the high priestly work of Jesus has been guaranteed to us by a promise and an oath. The writer of Hebrews will show this by quoting from Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn, and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. Next week we'll think about who Melchizedek is and why that's significant. But this is the two unchangeable things that that the writer refers to. God's promise that Jesus is our great high priest, Forever. And God's oath that He's given to us to encourage us that we can trust in Him forever. This is what we can depend on. This is the solid foundation on which we can build our lives. This is the basis of our hope. It's not trusting in our perseverance. Our endurance, our commitment. It's not depending on our strength to hold on desperately to Christ to the end. Instead, it's resting on God's unchanging promise and His oath that we have a high priest forever in heaven. This is a sure foundation in our lives. This is what the writer calls our anchor for our souls. Verse 19. We have this hope. <coughs> Excuse me. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. When my brother and his family were over visiting in September. We took, took a trip down to Hookhead Lighthouse. hope you've all been there. It's a fascinating place. And the weather that day was incredible. Blue sky, calm seas. But it's not usually like that. As a result, the sea around Hookhead, between Hookhead and the Salty Islands, is what's called the Graveyard of a Thousand Ships. And one of those ships that sank there was the ship called the Temple, which sank in 1878. And its huge anchor it here, is on display there, just on the way into the, the lighthouse. Such an impressive anchor, it's absolutely massive. But of course it wasn't enough to save that ship from getting uh, shipwrecked on the rocks, just off Hookhead. And many people today are trying to provide their own anchors for their lives. Things that will give them stability and security in this world. That might be their savings and investments. Thinking that they give them financial security. It may be their religious activity or their good works. It may be their reputation and their popularity. It may be their health and their fitness. But none of those things are able to combat all of the storms of life. Sooner or later, we will all face challenges that will overcome those things. Because we've, So we need something stronger than those anchors. We need a more certain, a more sure foundation than those things that we can provide. And this is what God has given us. An anchor that's firm and secure. That cannot break, (coughs) excuse me, and it cannot slip. That no storm can overwhelm it. Nothing in this life or in the life to come. That's because it's an anchor that's secured in heaven for us. Look at verse 19 again. It enters the the, the inner sanctuary, behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. That inner sanctuary is, of of course, the the most holy place. In the tabernacle, in the temple, that was the, the most inner room. The intimate presence of God. And it was barred by that heavy curtain. Only the high priest could enter it only once a year and that with a blood sacrifice. But when Jesus died that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom signifying that the way into God's intimate presence was now open through faith in Christ. And when he arose Jesus, he entered into the most holy place. But this time, not an earthly copy in Jerusalem. But the real, eternal, heavenly one. And he did this on our behalf. He did this to guarantee our salvation with his blood. But that verse in verse 20 says, not only that he entered on our behalf, but he went before us. He went as our forerunner. He went into that most holy place so that we could follow Him someday. So this is the anchor for our souls. This is why we can be sure that we will not be lost. This is why we can be absolutely certain we will not be condemned why nothing and no one can ever separate us from the love of God. Why no one can pluck us out of Jesus' hand. It's because we have a Saviour in heaven who paid the price of our salvation in full once for all. And God has promised and guaranteed it with an oath that He is our High Priest forever. Forever that he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. So yes, we do live in an uncertain world. We are surrounded by unreliable people just like ourselves. None of us know what tomorrow will bring into our lives. And despite the promises that people make, no one can offer us the security and stability that we desperately long for. Nobody apart from God. Yes, we're called to persevere in our faith. But our security is not found in that. Instead, it's based on God's better promise. Backed up with this reassuring pledge that we have a faithful person to rely on. A great high priest who has gone before us into heaven and guarantees that one day he will come back for us so that we can be with him forever. This is a sure foundation This is the anchor for our souls. This is the reason why today, even although we haven't received all of what God has promised yet, this is why we can rejoice in our salvation. Why we can worship Jesus as our Saviour and as our Lord.